We're starting a new series today entitled Defining Christmas, and I'm excited to be here. Again, my name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor. If this is your first time here, welcome to Faith Church. Also want to welcome all those who are watching online. Can we give it up for our online audience? Guys, we're glad you're tuning in. So listen, I don't know about you guys, but I love Christmas. Like, I love Christmas. I'm all about Christmas. I love, and I don't get, to exp- I don't get this, but I love gaudy Christmas decorations. Like you come to our house, like we have, you know, we have the Hallmark Christmas tree. I'm not about it. My wife won't let me have the tree that I want. Like LED lights, those are for wimps. I like the big old fashioned Christmas bulbs that's just close to setting something on fire. You know what I'm talking about? I like the decorations where nothing matches. The more color, the better, the less coordinated, the more, I mean, I just love it. But there's things I love. I love snow. We typically get to go north back. I'm from Ohio. Get, typically get to go home for the holidays. And, like, there's just nothing like waking up Christmas morning and seeing, like, two foot of snow. Like, I love Christmas, but it's just not those things. But there are some very specific things that really are powerful to me, things that I experience that I love. I love Christmas gifts. Come on, y'all. Listen, I sat down here for two weeks out of the last four while Pastor Adam and Pastor Ryan brought it. Y'all are pretty quiet. I need y'all to bring it when I'm up here. Y'all here today? Woo! So I love Christmas presents. I love buying Christmas presents. I love getting Christmas presents. I love hiding Christmas presents. I love finding Christmas presents. I love sneaking them open when nobody knows I'm looking. Like I love everything about, I love heavy boxes, not light boxes. I like thick envelopes, not thin envelopes. You know, I, man, I, I just love, I love Christmas presents. I love giving and receiving gifts. I love Christmas movies, right? Anybody, now you got to be just a little bit older, but I love Frosty. Listen, listen, you better bring it because I watch Santa Claus is coming to town every year. Rudolph, I'm all about it. I love the Island of Misfit toys, right? I mean, I, I'm just telling you, I watch all these movies. One of, my, one of my all-time favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. Some of you guys maybe watched it last night. I posted it. Some of you actually posted, I've never seen it. Are you kidding me? You have missed life. When he finds Zuzu's petals. Zuzu's petals. If you don't know what it's about, you got to watch the movie. Right? A Christmas story, Ralphie and his Red Rider BB gun. I mean, uh, you can just go on National Lampoon's Christmas. Like, I can get all the Cousin Eddie that they can give me. So I'm telling you, I just watch, I watch these movies every year, every year, like it's just part of the holidays, it's part of the season. I love being with my family. I love my family, so we get the privilege to spend time with my family. We're close to Shauna's family, so we get to spend time. So I look forward to these traditions of shopping and spending time with my wife and my family and her family and watching these movies and decorating our tree as a family. Every Christmas morning we get up, this is a tradition in our home, every Christmas morning before we open our first package, we sit down and we open up Matthew and we read the Christmas story. And those are traditions that are special to me, and I know I'm not the only one. You know, I I have my Christmas traditions that are special to me. I bet there's a lot of you in this room that you have Christmas traditions that are special to you. 
And some of ours might be the same. You might enjoy some of the same things. You might watch some of the same movies. But I would bet that you probably have some unique experiences, things you do, places you go, things like that that make Christmas kind of special to you. So here's what I want you to think about on the front end of this series. And this is kind of where we're going to go through this entire series for the next three weeks is that there are a lot of traditions that we have, a lot of traditions that we enjoy. And if we're honest, it's really kind of those traditions that's what that makes Christmas special to us. In fact, I would say it this way, that we define Christmas by the traditions we experience. Like, I want you just to be honest for a minute. Again, we define Christmas by the traditions that we experience. What makes Christmas exciting for you or what makes Christmas challenging for you? What gives you the feelings that you have during the holiday season is probably the traditions that you experience. Now, I know some of you have been in church for a long time and you're going to come back and say, no, pastor, it's Jesus. And I would just challenge you on that. And here's why. I want you to imagine that like an alien race would come and do a social experience, not in, not in the world. Not even in the United States. If an alien race came and did a social experiment just in Northwest Alabama and came and the social experiment was this, what is Christmas all about in Northwest Alabama? Think about it. If they had a dictionary, they would open it up and they would read something like this, that Christmas is a Christian festival where Christians celebrate and honor the birth of their Savior and Messiah, Jesus Christ. But if we're honest, come on, a lot of times our traditions, and, and they're great traditions, and I'm not here to pick on traditions because I have my own, but a lot of times our traditions have nothing or very little to do with really what Christmas is about. In fact, our paper tradition really varies in a huge gap with our literal kind of lifestyle tradition. Isn't that right? I mean, let's, let's just be honest. I mean, I've never seen this till I came to Florence, Alabama. Ohio State Buckeye fans are radical, but it is only... Alabama fans that dump Jesus and leave him in the garage and put a letter A on the front of their lawn during the holidays. That, that's what I'm saying. So the aliens would look and say, okay, wait, 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 wait. So the paper definition is that this holiday, this festival is about this person, Jesus. But when they would look at our lives and they would evaluate how we act, how we experience things, the tradition we have, I think if we're honest that there is this gap, again, between our paper definition and our lifestyle definition. And so while it's okay that we define Christmas by the traditions we experience, here's what I want to say through this series is rather Christmas, I want you to read this, Christmas should define the experience of our traditions that we all have experiences and we all have traditions. But I think as Christ followers, now if you're here and you're not sure about the God thing yet, you're maybe unclear on Jesus, I think you're still gonna get something out of this series. But for all of us in this room that have crossed the line, we've put our faith and hope in Jesus. Again, I think it's important that Christmas again should define the experience of our traditions. Which means if we have defined Christmas rather than Christmas defining us, we are missing one of the most profound, powerful days in human history. That Jesus, the light of the world, broke in not just to general darkness, but our darkness. That Jesus, the hope of the world, came and showed up and didn't just forgive global sin, but forgave my sin. Come on, is anybody here thankful that Jesus came from heaven to earth so we could go from earth to heaven? So again, it's, it's this really cool thing where, again, we have traditions. All of us have them. But for some reason, 
in the way we handle family, good and bad, the way we manage finances, especially during the holidays, good or bad, the things we do, the ways we invest, the ways we celebrate, sometimes there is this gap, again, between just kind of Christmas as a tradition and Christmas as a profound experience because of Jesus. In fact, I think there's no place where that's more real than when it comes to family. How many people here have seen the movie The Martian with Matt Damon? Anybody see that movie? So let me just tell you, so I, I don't really like to fly. I hate flying internationally. I get invitations to do things, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not. You know, like if you can, like if you, and you can do this because he did it in Scripture. Lord, if you can translate me, you know he did this. He just translate people from one place to the next. Lord, if you can translate me to Africa, I'm in. I'm not taking a plane. I'm not flying a 600 at, you know, 30,000 feet, 600 miles per hour in a metal tube. I hate it, hate getting stuck in the seat, hate sitting there, hate the food they serve, but there is a win. Like, I love the movie screens now because, like, there's movies I want to see that I don't get to the theater to watch. I'm too cheap to buy a ticket, whatever. And you can sit there, and I'm telling you, like, I just watch, like, four movies in a row on an international flight. If you've never flown, like, it's, it's just worth it for that. So earlier in the year, I flew internationally, so I watched several movies in The Martian. Like, I'd heard it was a really great movie, and so I'm, like, watching it, and I'm all about it. I'm watching this movie. I'm like, oh. And, and Matt Damon, he's on this planet. He's stuck on Mars, and finally the moment comes where he's maybe going to be able to get off the island, right? If you guys seen the movie, and he gets in this rocket, and he takes off. And you're not sure, is he going to survive? Is, is he going to blow up? Are they going to catch him? Are they not going to catch him? You've not seen the movie. It's like this very tense moment. All of a sudden, we're getting ready to land the plane, and we're going to go ahead and turn off the movie. Now I'm like, no! What happened? For real, I got off the plane like, what happened to Matt Damon? Here's, here's just, a real, just a real quick scene. I love this, man. So, again, he's stuck on the planet. Go ahead and roll this. He's stuck on the planet, and he gets on this little kind of space rocket. 10. Nine. Main engine start. And here he is. There's like they've stripped this thing down, and he's ready to launch into space. But so the crew that's come running, back to get him can capture him in the middle. It's just kind of cool. Altitude 1350 meters. That's too low. You it right here. This is about where it cut off for me. I'm like, what? <laughs> so here's the thing again this rocket's taken off, and man, here's the thing is in, in the movie, obviously it exaggerates it, but if you've ever seen a real rocket launch, if you've ever seen something that, you know, has taken off in Florida out of NASA, it's this crazy thing because you have all of this heat and all of this pressure and all of these G's of this rocket. <laughs> And man, like the astronauts, they're under all this pressure. They're like, <laughs> and it's crazy. And if everything doesn't work perfectly, it could spiral out of, out of like just where it should be. And things could catastrophically end in an explosion. 
And when I think about the heat, I think about the pressure, I think about the G's, I think about the high potential of an explosion, I think about family during the holidays. <laughs> Come on, let's be honest, right? There is so much tension and so much pressure and so much heat when it comes to managing our schedule and where are we going to go and who do we have to see, especially when it comes to family. Here's why. Let's be honest, because there's people we want to see that we can't see and there's people that we don't want to see that we have to see. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. There's people we want to see, but, you know, maybe they've moved recently or they've just lived far away and like we just wish we could see them, but they're not there. Some of you have family members that like this holiday season, this Christmas, like your heart is just going to break because you can't see them. Some of you here have lost loved ones. I know we have people in our church, you've lost your husband this past year, you've lost your wife, you've lost family members. And if you could see anybody, if you could relive a moment, if you could celebrate a tradition, it would be with them, but you can't see them. Or like on the other side, again, there's people we don't want to see, but we know they're going to be there. There's the drunk uncle that makes it all awkward. There's a sister we're fighting with, or there's the cousin that we can't stand. But no matter what happens, you have to go to that family event. You have to go there. And so again, it's this, it's this tension and pressure. It's this heat. It's the G's of the Christmas experience and tradition, again, of seeing people we don't want to see and not being able to see the people we want to see. And it makes it so difficult and so challenging. And a lot of us, we define Christmas by the pressure of having to deal with family. And some of us love Christmas because of family. And some of us hate Christmas because of family. And I don't know about you guys, but I grew up really in a great home. But there's been times in my life and probably times in your life. Have you ever looked at a friend's family and thought, man, I wish that was my family? Have you ever felt that way before? Like, you're, like, I wish that was my home. I wish I was raised in that house. I wish those were my parents. Or I wish those were my family members or brothers or sisters. Like, when you look at Jesus, like, you have to believe that Jesus, right? I mean, his life was perfect. Like, my family, maybe your family, you might think, like, our families are jacked up. Like there's tension and pressure and people don't get along and there's people that like avoid each other in a little house because they don't want to talk and there's, there's unforgiveness and there's bitterness and like at any moment a fight may break out. I'm just going to tell you guys that there are people in my family right now that I was very close to growing up that we've not seen in years because my uncle almost got into a fist fight with my brother because my brother didn't like the boyfriend of my uncle daughter that she was dating. They were drunk and almost got in a fist fight. We don't see them anymore. Come on, you want to talk about some pressure and some heat and some tension. That's what I want to talk about is how do we manage the tension? When you look at Jesus, like I just want to say, like, I wish I had a family like Jesus. Like, I wish my family was perfect. I wish my family got along. I wish everybody in my family was sane. I wish everybody in my family could forgive. And surely the life, surely the family of Jesus was that way, right? Or was it? See, when you read the gospel stories, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four biographical sketches of the life of Jesus. And out of the four biographical sketches of the life of Jesus, only two of them record the Christmas story, record the early life and birth of Jesus. Of the two that record it, which is Matthew and Luke, it's only Matthew that kind of starts in a pretty odd way. 
In fact, if you've read your Bible, it starts in a way that we're not really comfortable reading because it just seems like a, a, almost a whole chapter that we, like it doesn't make sense, what's it there for? Because the beginning of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, is a genealogy. It's a family tree of so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. And you're like, why is this here? And actually Luke, the gospel Luke, also records a, biography or a, um, a genealogy of Jesus as well. But when you read it, and I just want to take just a, a side path for a minute, because some of you maybe have been in conversations with friends that don't believe in the Bible, don't believe it's historically accurate. And one of the things sometimes they'll point to is that when you read and compare the genealogy of Matthew with the genealogy of Luke, there seems to be some contradictions. And people will say, well, see, your own Bible's not right because the genealogies don't line up. And I, I just want to help you with that real quick because the genealogy of Matthew is different from the genealogy of Luke, and here's why. Because the genealogy of Matthew follows back from Jesus' father, Joseph, follows his line all the way back to Abraham. And it's the genealogy in Luke that follows the line of Mary. And here's why. Because it was the father that you had your legal heritage from. Your legal standing came from your dad. And everybody knows that the father of Jesus was who? So it was important for them, for Matthew, to make sure his readers knew that Jesus was related back, and we'll, we'll see in a minute, was related back to some very important people. But because Joseph wasn't really the, the biological father, right, because... He didn't have a biological father, right? God just did this really divine, supernatural thing. So Mary was his mother. So she was the literal bloodline that showed that he came from these same people. And here's why. Because the reason Matthew wrote and recorded the genealogy, like why is that there? Is because what Matthew was trying to do for his specific Jewish audience was to demonstrate that Jesus fulfilled some prophecies that would declare, declare that he was the Messiah. Two in particular, that he would come from the line of Abraham, the father of faith, and he would come through the line of David. So Matthew writes to his audience to say, hey, you can believe, at least on the front end, and there's further evidence as you read his biographical sketch, you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah because he fulfills prophecies that he comes through the line of, uh, of Abraham and he comes through the line of David and you can track it all the way from his birth backwards and you see it or all the way from the beginning all the way to front. In fact, here's what the Bible says. Check this out. It says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant, read it, the descendant of David and Abraham. There were, two, there were prophecies, one, that Abraham, you guys remember him all the way back in the beginning, God picked one guy, he said through him, through his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So he's saying, hey, Jesus is the seed, Jesus is the offspring through Abraham, and not just Abraham, but through David, keep reading. And it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And if you read it, it just keeps going and going and going. But here's what's crazy. Or watch this. As you read the genealogy, a lot of history, especially early history, did you know this? Like there weren't historians that went to school and went and got jobs. Most history was recorded by people who were hired to record history. Historians were hired by kings, they were hired by generals. They were hired by princes. They were hired by people of importance. And here's why that's crazy is because imagine if you're a historian and you're hired by a general and you go out and, you, and the general wins the battle. You're going to be like, he kicked butt. He destroyed the enemy. But imagine your boss loses the fight and gets his butt whooped. How are you going to record that? Um, 
It really wasn't such a bad loss because you want a paycheck, you want to stay alive. So there are some things in ancient history that really are not as accurate as they can be because the recorded, his, the recorded history kind of is downplayed. Mistakes were downplayed. Defeats were downplayed. So when you read the history of Jesus, this is important, when you read the history of Jesus, you would think it would be like, you know, everything's perfect. But instead, you read a true genealogy of Jesus, which records not just the good people, but also the crazy people. Do y'all know Jesus had some crazy people in his family line? Do you know Jesus, like you and I, he had chaos in his family. He had corruption in his family. He had brokenness in his family. Do y'all know that Jesus did not come from a perfect family? In fact, this guy, David, check this out. Here's what the Bible says in his genealogy. Read it. Jesse was the father of who? King David. David was the father of Solomon. And then he throws us in. Matthew throws in this little nugget. Everybody knows it, but Matthew wants to make sure we've not forgot who this guy is, Solomon. Solomon, whose mother was the widow of Uriah. Now, let me tell you why. This is scandalous. It's like, it's like Matthew wanted everybody to know, hey, listen, listen, Jesus is the Messiah. And yeah, he did come through the family line of David, just like prophesied. But let's not forget that his great, 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 great granddaddy, David, slept with this woman he wasn't married with, Bathsheba, and had her husband killed. And the child that was born was Solomon. That's scandalous. That's stuff you read like when you check out and the star, like I'm going to check that out. Janet Jackson's an alien and Jesus was, right? What? And so as you read this, here's what's crazy is David's not the only one. As you read the genealogy of Jesus over and over, there are people like Jacob the deceiver. There are people, uh, there are people throughout Rahab was a prostitute. There's a woman, her name is Tamar, that Jesus was related to, that she was, she was not Jewish. She seduced her father-in-law so she could get pregnant and have a baby. You think your family's crazy. <laughs> Jesus had a crazy family. But here's what I want you to know. Again, when you look at your family, as you anticipate the challenges and the pressures and the tensions of trying to make everybody happy, see everybody, navigate the complexities of stepkids and stepparents, in your family that's not forgiving each other, and how do you work through all that? How do you make everybody happy? How do you work through all that without losing your mind? I want you to know something. You can look at a lot of other people and say, I wish my family was like that. There are no perfect families in this room. In fact, Jesus, our Messiah, came from a crazy family tree. Has anybody here ever done a genealogy search or a family tree? Like, there's a guy in our family that did this several years ago. And you know, when you talk to people who've done these genealogical research and they're like related to princes and kings and like smart scientists and millionaires and CEOs, not me. They did a, this is true. The only person they could find that's like even on the radar of history was a guy in the 20s by the name of Legs Diamond. <laughs> He's a gangster. Like that's what I got in my family line is a gangster. That's it. And some of you are like, I can see that. I can definitely see that. But here's what I want you to hear. Listen, listen, listen. This is so important. If you don't hear anything else I say, I'm not done, but if you don't hear anything else I say and you're here and your family is jacked up and it breaks your heart and you don't know how to manage and you don't know like, how am I going to get out of this mess? Here's what I want you to hear is this right here is that God can use incredibly broken family trees to produce incredible fruit. Y'all weren't near excited enough for that. 
Listen, I'm telling you that God can bring a miracle out of a mess. If Jesus Christ, the Messiah, can be born out of a family tree that's full of corruption and brokenness and deception and prostitution and sin, God can do anything through you and your family. Anything is possible. But, but, but it goes on because it wasn't just his family tree that was messed up. You got to ask the question, okay, well, his family tree was in bad shape, but surely his like extended family, they were good, right? Absolutely not. Y'all know the story of Jesus, right? When he's still in the womb of Mary, remember, right? They go back to this place called Bethlehem. Anybody remember where Jesus was born? What was the name of the city? Bethlehem. Y'all come on. You ain't got to be a Bible scholar. Sing some Christmas songs. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Watch some Charlie Brown Christmas or something, people. <laughs> he was born in Bethlehem, but specifically, where was he born? Specifically, he was born where? In a manger. Like Jesus, Jesus was born in a barn. His first crib was a food trough for animals. His first blankie was a burlap sack that food came in for animals. Here's what's crazy. I've read the Christmas story over and over and over. I'm telling you, as a pastor, this is the most challenging. Every year I got to get up and do this and say something original. <laughs> yeah, some of you have never done this, so don't judge me. <laughs> don't. But I'm reading and all of a sudden, like, it hit me. I'm thinking about his family. I'm thinking about all his chaos, and it hit me. Because we, we got to say this, and some of, you, some of you don't know the story, but, right, the city, the city was, was so crammed full. The city was crammed full of people. Here's why. The Bible tells us why. Check this out. And don't, you're, there's a huge clue. Everyone read this. At that time, when Jesus was about to be born, at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire, which included where Jesus would be born. Keep reading. All, everyone say that, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. This is so important. You got to ask the question, why was Jesus born in a manger? Why was he born in a dirty, dark, cold barn? And the answer is, if you know your Bible as well, because the inn was full, there was no room. Wrong. He had to go look for room in an inn. Joseph had to look for a spot for his son, Jesus, who was about to be born because his family had rejected him. Bethlehem, Bethlehem is where all his family was. This is where his extended family, some still lived. And if they didn't still live there, come on, read this. All his aunts, his uncles, his nieces, his nephews, his cousins, they were all in town for a family reunion. They all had a place to stay. And you better believe before he ever went to the end, he went knocking door to door. Hey, can, can, can Mary and I stay here? She's about to have a baby. But they rejected Jesus because he was a bastard child. As far as they were concerned, Right? Y'all remember the story. Mary gets pregnant. The Bible says it's of the Holy Spirit. Like you can imagine their family. Right, yeah, uh-huh, it's of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you're not sleeping here. I'm telling you, at that time, it was absolutely the epitome of scandal for you to have a baby out of wedlock. In fact, Joseph, before he got the dream, before he really believed that the baby in the womb of Mary was the Messiah, until he believed that, he had made the decision to banish her because he wanted to maintain his reputation. 
So both of their reputations were compromised by staying together. So I want you to know, you want to talk about your family? Let's talk about the family of Jesus. His entire extended family rejected him. You want to talk about problems? Jesus was born in a barn because of the tension in his family. So we talk about his family tree. We talk about his extended family. Surely his immediate family, like I got some, I got some crazy people in my extended family, but my immediate family, surely the immediate family was good, right? Well, when you read the story of Jesus, his immediate family was as crazy as his extended family. In fact, check this out. Later on in, in the early ministry of Jesus, he's about 30 years old at this point. He's beginning to fulfill his mission on earth to preach, to teach, to do miracles. Ultimately, his goal was to go to the cross of Calvary. But early on in his ministry, and the reason he taught, the reason he did miracles was to make sure not only through his genealogy, but through his life of being sin-free, through his miracles of demonstrating his authority, he was able to demonstrate through his birth and through his life that he was able to give his life as a sacrifice because he was the son of God. But here's what's crazy. Listen to what scripture says. His brothers thought about Jesus. Read this with me. Jesus' brother said to him, hey, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. <laughs> Keep reading. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. They're, they are being totally sarcastic. One more verse, watch this. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt misunderstood by your family? Have you ever felt marginalized by your family? Have you ever felt pushed out by your family? I want you to know that Jesus and his family tension was marked by rejection and being misunderstood, being marginalized, being minimized, being looked down on. That was what Jesus experienced. Like, I'll give you one more. Watch this, this is kind of cool. Go to this next verse. Jesus asked this question. He's sitting with his disciples. Jesus asked, come on, y'all got to read this. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? It says, then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. And he tells us, watch this. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's saying, you know what? My family's rejected me. Jesus felt closer to his own disciples than he felt to his family members. Have you ever felt closer to someone else in your own family? Like, have you ever, like, have you ever wished, like, I don't even want to be with my family. Like, I just want to be with my friends. I want to, like, hang out with my small group. I want to hang out with people that I know love me and accept me. I don't even want to be around my family. I want you to know today that as you look forward to the holidays and the Christmas season of the family pressure, heat, tension, the challenges of making everybody happy, the tension of trying to balance your schedules, of being with people that you can't stand, of not being able to be with people you miss, in the midst of all that chaos that you look around and throw your hands in the air and think, I can't stand my family like I just wish I was in part of another family. I want you to know today that because of Jesus, you are a part of another family. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are part of his family and it's really not much more perfect anyways. But here's the crazy thing. Here's the real beautiful thing is that when Jesus came, Jesus didn't just come to preach a message. Jesus came to live a message. When you hung around Jesus, you didn't just hear something taught. You watched something lived. And that as Jesus lived among broken people, family members who rejected him and ostracized him, 
when he hung around people who absolutely wanted nothing to do with him early on, he still came and he embodied love and grace and light, which why that's important is this. In the midst of your hurt and your angst and the rejection of your own family, and some of you here, if you could tell me your story and you could justify it, and you could give me three or four or five reasons why, and you would try to sell me, Pastor, if, if this happened to you, you would hate your family too. If your sister did what my sister did to me, you wouldn't want to spend time with her either. And you have reasons and you feel justified in the anger and the frustration of your family. And I'm telling you, it makes sense. But here's what I want you to know. Is that if Jesus came, our Messiah, our Savior, our teacher, and we are called to exemplify who he is, that if Jesus came not just with a message, but was a message, then we as his followers should not just have a message, we should be a message. Which means when we go into our broken families, when we go into not just your chaos, my chaos, when you deal with your unforgiveness and I have to deal with mine, that God has called us and God has equipped us because of Jesus in us, we can move through this holiday season. We can move through the Christmas holiday, not defining it, but allowing it to define us. Don't define Christmas by your family struggles, but rather let your family struggles be defined by Christmas. Like how are you going to manage the tension and the pressure and the heat of family? See, here's the funny thing, and I talk about this from time to time, is every now and then, every now and then, people say this who come to faith, and it's okay, and if you feel this way, what, what can I do? Well, Pastor Steve, like we don't feel like your, your teachings are deep enough. Listen, I can teach you all in a whole and it'll be biblically accurate, theologically correct, doctrinally true, and y'all can walk out of this room and have no idea what I say. Or I can just tell you Jesus came and he changed the world. One of the most profound moments in human history, the birth of our Savior and Messiah, and it didn't just change the world, it should change us. And because of the brokenness he lived in, we live in brokenness, but if he made a difference, we can make a difference. Like that's real simple living. Like it's not deep. But if it's too deep for it to make sense to you, it's too deep. Everything Jesus ever taught made perfect sense, which is why a lot of people heard it, rejected it, and walked away because it got way too personal because it made a whole lot of sense. So here's what I want you to know. As you go back, watch this again. As you look at the broken family that Jesus come, came from, again, if out of a broken family tree a miracle came forth. That means out of your broken family tree, a miracle can come forth. If out of the rejection that Jesus experienced from his family, it brought our acceptance, through the acceptance you give your family, you don't have to continue to deal with the rejection. And out of the temporal rejection that he experienced with his immediate family, because he maintained love and grace in the midst of the chaos, the eventual temporal Conflict brought an eternal change. Because you remember Mary? Mary, his mother, that really, like there was times, remember he said, hey, that's not really my mom. My mom is the one who loves my father and does the will of my father. Eventually, Mary caught on. And Mary became one of the key disciples of Jesus. James, James, his younger brother who hated him, ostracized and rejected him, eventually got saved. Imagine, imagine you praying your older brother's name. Jesus, come into my life and save me. <laughs> But he eventually put his hope that his older brother, Jesus, wasn't a normal brother, that he was the Messiah. 
He was the savior of the world. And eventually James became one of the key apostles who wrote the book of James. I'm just saying, you say, God, as I look at my family, can anything good come from this? If you can't answer that question, you've not read and looked at the life of Jesus because out of brokenness and out of chaos, out of an incredibly broken family tree came incredible fruit. And as we step into this holiday season, my prayer is for you that you will not allow your family struggles to define Christmas for you. But Christmas has been defined by light coming into darkness, peace coming into brokenness, hope coming into despair. And who Jesus is did not just show up into this world. But if as a Christ follower, you've prayed a prayer and you've put your faith in him, he has showed up into your heart and his promise is to show up into your circumstance. And my prayer is that you will allow Christmas to define you. I wanna give you four things real quick, things to remember, four things. Just kind of a sidetrack, just real practical. As you move into the holidays this year, I wanna give you these four things real quick. You can write these down. As you try to manage family and deal with it, number one, remember it's not about just you. Woo, come on somebody. It's not just about you. Now I'm just telling you, sometimes, sometimes I can be a selfish person. If I don't want to go there, I'm, gonna make, I'm making everybody uncomfortable. I'm complaining the whole way there. My wife will say this about me. It's not really true, but sometimes it's true, and I don't like it when she calls me on it. If I don't want to go somewhere, I get pretty grouchy when it's time to go. When it's time to go, I can't find anything to wear. I don't really want to go there. I start feeling kind of sick. If I'm going somewhere I don't want to go and I'm miserable, I'm making everybody miserable. <laughs> now, come on, am I the only one that can be honest like that? And so I just want you to know something. As you try to navigate calendars and schedules and we're going to grandma's house and you're trying to figure out, especially if you're married, do we go to your family or my family and you're trying to work and play and there's places that you don't want to be, go and there's people you don't want to see. I want you to remember this. Everybody say it. It's not about just you. Just because you don't want to be there doesn't mean your kids don't want to be there or doesn't mean your wife doesn't want to be there. Doesn't mean, right? So it's not just about you. And I think as we navigate the complexities of the holidays and family tension dynamic, you got to remember, it's not just about you. Which means not only the family tension, you got to be aware that other people want to be there. I want you to remember this, that even though you may not want to be there, God wants you to be there because if you have Christ in you, God can bring Christ in to that situation. Man, I just preached right there. If you show up, listen, 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 listen. Jesus said, if you show up in a place because he's in you, you can, now I'm not saying say this because people think you're weird, but you can, the kingdom has come. Y'all just ought to say it. You, when you walk into grandma's house, everybody's like, he's here. Be like, the kingdom has come. Because you can sit in the corner and you can have a bad attitude and you can remember how they hurt you or you can show up with the same grace God gave you and give grace to other people and you can be the element of healing and restoration in your family. That's how they, I believe that. I believe that. Number two, number two, real quick, set secure boundaries. Set secure boundaries for you and your family, which means if you, your family is like is off the charts crazy, there's a lot of tension. I think we need to intentionally put ourselves in situations where we can connect with friends and family members, bring healing. But at the same time, I think you need to make sure your family and your kids are safe, which means if your family's totally abusive, I don't think you should just keep going there. Are you all hearing me? It's okay to say no. One more, watch this. Be okay with others not being okay. 
Some of you ain't writing this down, and this is the best thing I've said really this whole message. When you try to figure out, you're trying to make everybody happy, listen, here's what I found out. This is why I've had people say this about me. Pastor Steve's kind of arrogant. I'm really not. I'm just confident. Here's what I figured out. I wish I'd have figured it out earlier in ministry. It took me a while. Because I try to make everybody happy. What kind of music do you want? What, well, how do you want me to preach? And how do you want us to do the lights? And what do you want? And, how, and do you want me to be there? And I got to be there. And I'm trying to make hundreds of people happy. And I found out I was making everybody happy but me and Jesus. The best decision I ever made is, God, if you're the only one I make happy, I'm okay with that. Amen. And I'm okay if everybody's not okay. So as you navigate your family and you decide we can't spend all day with you, we can only give you a half hour, we're not going to make it this year, you know, we'll try again later, people are going to get mad at you, you have to be okay with not everybody being okay. I promise you, because it'll be okay. Last one, last one. Are you all with me today? Is everybody okay today? All right, last one. This is big. Honor your entire family. Honor your entire family. You know, it's a, it's a biblical mandate for believers to honor your parents. Not, but pastor, you don't know. I, I, I'm not saying it's easy to fulfill that scripture, but honor your parents. Here's another one. Parents, listen, this is so big. Honor your kids. Everybody say it. Honor your kids. Parent 364. Write it down. Parent, if you have kids, parent 364. Don't parent for the one day of the year and we drag our kids, get dressed and we expect them to be perfect and your tie's untied and your shoe's untied and you got something on your shirt and man, we make it so stressful. Kids are miserable and we pull them from place to place and we give them the talk before. Now don't touch anything and don't say anything. Just sit there and be quiet. And if you get underwear, be grateful. Well, nobody wants to get underwear. Listen, you've never opened a pair of underwear and be like, this is just what I needed. Thank, I'm going to go put some on right now. <laughs> Honor your kids. Don't parent for Christmas Day. Parent for the other 364 days. And I'm going to give you one more, and this doesn't apply to everybody, but it's a gift. Honor step families. There's divorced families in this church. And there's tension and struggle. Listen, your son or your daughter has to share time. And I know, listen, if you have to share time with your spouse that you're divorced with, and especially if there's tension, you're like, I, listen, hey, honey, listen, I'm glad you get to spend time with mom today. Listen, I'm glad, I'm gonna miss you, but I'm glad you get to go. Listen, enjoy, give your child permission to have fun. Like if there's any time of the year you wanna try to get along, make an effort to get along with your, with your son's stepdaddy or your daughter's stepmom. Honor those family bonds because you got to live in them. Don't help create the mess. Help create the peace. And I believe God will honor that. Amen? Amen. So family tension's coming like a rocket that's about to explode. <laughs> the good news is, if you haven't seen the movie, Matt Damon makes it up into the atmosphere, and they're able to snatch him out. Like this thing that looks like it's going to end so bad, it ends perfect. It ends in storybook mode. ends perfectly. As you anticipate a lot of chaos this year, my prayer for you is that you will have a storybook ending, that God will bless you with peace and God will bless you with grace. And you will not define Christmas, but you will allow Christmas to define you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of every one of us. And we thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Come on, y'all gotta pray with me. And Lord, we pray, God, in the midst of our chaos and challenges and tension of family, 
that God, you will help us to manage it well. God, I pray, Lord, for us that are carrying unforgiveness or bitterness. Lord, for some of us in this room that are missing loved ones because they've passed away or moved away. Lord, in each of our individual situations, I pray that we would be defined by Christmas, that light came into darkness, that peace came into chaos, that hope came into despair when Jesus, our Savior, came into this world. Lord, I pray that we would be defined by Christmas in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody who agreed said amen.